Welcome everybody to Faith and Entheogens. I'm your host, Setio Science, and today I am blessed with our guest, Otto Meyer. Otto Meyer is a dear friend of mine, a confidant. Uh, we work together through uh, our development into integration coaches through the Psychedelic Schools program, and I'm just very excited to have him on the show. Thanks for having me, dude. I'm excited to be here. Yeah, thank you so much, man. It's been a while. Otto and I kind of lost touch because we're both so active in the space right now doing doing mm -hmm. what we're doing. Uh, but nonetheless, uh, he agreed to be on the show last minute, uh, saved the day. So we're really pleased to have him here. Uh, Otto is the founder of Soul and Psyche. Um, he's also a integration coach. He's a psychedelic teacher for psych schools. A Cambo practitioner, he just comes with a wealth of experience within this space. Um, Otto, for anyone who's, who's not familiar, who is Otto Meyer? Oh, man. <laughs> That's a tough question. I would say who I am is just a, just a human trying to be as truthful to himself as possible, trying to be as authentic as I can and... Um, listen to whatever whatever my heart and soul calls me to do and that has taken me down a road many different roads some roads look uh, completely unrelated but um they all sort of start to lead back to this uh yeah this like core truth this like core authenticity and i don't know if i could name it or say like you know do like name and ego say like Otto is this identity or the integration coach or or this person, but almost that like, yeah, many different hats and underneath the hat, there's this like underlying like presence. So yeah, I would say that's me in a nutshell. Yeah. I'd say that's pretty accurate. You know, and then offline, we were just having a discussion about how, how we came in with one plan when we first met and now we're just, you know, we've taken several different left and right turns from the mm -hmm. original plan. So it's been nice to see the development um, between both of us, you know, along this path. And like I said, uh, Otto and I shared the uh, certification program together. We leaned on each other a lot through, through the uh, integration portion of it, found a really deep connection through that and, and other mm -hmm. work that we were doing together. So um, yeah, I, I completely understand where he's coming from. He's, he's uh, dove into a, a lot of different modalities and practices along the way. So we're thrilled, as I said, to have him as a guest today. I know you just got back from Mexico. That's the last uh, real conversation we had. So um, how did that go, man? I, I know I kept up with some of the uh, the photos you were sharing, things like that, but it was it seemed to be a yeah. spiritual discovery for you that I'd love to hear. About. Yeah, I spent some time in, in Oaxaca, um, Mexico. I basically, you know, I try to every winter travel somewhere and try to experience a culture that I feel called to. And it just happens to be that like every time I, every time I travel, it ends up being around some type of either like spiritual or healing modality. Spent some time in India in Peru um, and now in Mexico and just kind of like, you know, you know, going back to that, like following the core essence and like what that authenticity is. I just feel really called to experience, um, as many different like tribal cultures and rituals as I can, because it, it feels really nourishing and, and important for me. So 
I spent some time in Oaxaca and I, and I, with the intention of connecting with some indigenous healers and didn't really have a plan, just kind of like went there and, um, was lucky enough that I met some folks who were close to a lot of, um, the local indigenous Zapotec people and got to do some really profound, um, limpias, uh, Temescal, um, got some reading, some really like a lot of energetic work. And yeah, so I just spent some time like immersing myself in the culture. And then every weekend I would go to the mountains and work with this healer. And it was a lot more intense than I thought it would be. Like, you know, they don't necessarily work with entheogens. They don't work with medicine. So I I almost had this, like, I was like, oh, this isn't going to be that, like, it's not going to be that intense. You know, I've like done dietas. I've like gone to the jungle and drank a bunch of ayahuasca. Like this isn't going to be that intense, but you know, like indigenous healers have a lineage of work and that lineage is, you know, when it's passed down over generation, it's like a very strong practice, very strong modality. And yeah, some of the insight that was coming through these rituals for me was, was really, it was really intense. It uncovered a lot of like, childhood trauma that the medicine hadn't uncovered and a lot of like patterns that have made their way into my life. And I was just really taken back by the woman, Lorena, her ability to, you know, we would do Olympias together and she would just crack this egg in this, in this glass. And then she would tell me my whole life story. And I was like, how is she doing this? This is like (laughs) legitimate magic, you know, like, so yeah, I feel really grateful that I've been I've been lucky enough that a lot of indigenous folks have been open to yeah, giving me some space to to experience their their culture. Oh, absolutely. And it's been a pleasure to see that manifest for you because it takes me back to Connecticut, right? When we had kind of our team building um ceremony and and space and time together. Uh, when we're when I was starting Solnos and also uh, coming to the conclusion of our coursework with psychedelic schools, so we had had a conversation together about interest in curanderismo, you know, the Mexican cleansing rituals and rites, and uh, and like a few weeks later, you were like, "Hey, man, I'm taking off. I don't know what I'm going to do, but it's it's going to be you know amazing nonetheless." I know I was trying to to meet you out there several times, but, you know, life happens and, and uh, we never linked up, but it was, I was definitely an observer of, of your experience. And, and, you know, I, I saw, I saw it bear fruit through just your eyes. You know, a lot of the curanderismo experience is within soul retrieval, you know, that I know that that's a lot of what they do. And, um, you know, self-discovery, things of that nature, which is all, you know, things that that don't require medicine at all. You know, I I think that in some cases we can expedite those experiences um, through the use of entheogens, but nonetheless, there's, there's, you know, um, countless, you know, traditional means of of self-discovery and and soul retrieval in that, in that light, you know, so it, it was awesome. It was awesome to, to witness, you know, from afar. So, yeah. So congratulations on that. And, and, you know, did you ever notice any type of similarities? Cause I know you've been, like you said, um, exposed culturally to Indian practices and Peruvian practices and, and now, you know, the practices of, of Mexico. 
Um, would you say that there were some things you were comfortable with because you were exposed to similar situations throughout mm. the different cultures? Yeah, I mean, I definitely like every time I experience um, a different culture's ritual, I feel like the bones, the bones of our rituals are always, always similar, you know, and like, I do feel like, especially, you know, when, when I think of like ritual, I think it comes from a very deep ancestral collective place. So in, in that way, I do think that, yeah, there's, there's some, some of the, like, for example, like the Temescal really reminded me of sweat lodge, you know, obviously like they're using heat, you know, as a similar modality, but even like the format and the rounds, it's like, and you know, Olympia as well, like Olympia is practiced in, in, in all sorts of Latin American cultures, whether it's like Shipibo or, or the Kofan or any of the tribal, like folks using Yahe or, you know, Olympias are, you know, part of shamanism. So it's like, it's just interesting to, to see that they're all like, you know, at the core, they're, they're doing very like um, similar work, but their spin on it is all very unique. And it's like, you, I'm always taken back by how, like, I remember when Lorena, when we first did Olympia, I was like, yeah, I've done Olympia before. Like, I'm like ready for this, you know? And then when I did it, you know, I was in, I was sobbing. I was in tears. I've, I've never experienced Olympia that actually brought me, you know, to my knees like that. And I was like, wow, this is like, they've taken, they've totally put their own, their own spin on this. This is very like, not a, not a small thing, you know? Right. Of course. Yeah. And the land is so vast, you know, and in all of the aforementioned places, you know, that, that I think culturally it kind of evolves based on the tribal needs and the uh, like, you know, the, the local needs of, of, the people who are, are showing up for these services, you know, and um, most likely, like, you know, maybe Copal wasn't available everywhere. Sage wasn't available everywhere. So they have to adapt and overcome based on, you know, teachings that they've, that they've gotten along the way. So it, it is interesting. It's interesting to, to tie them together, but also to each one has its own signature, as you're saying, you know, but nonetheless, the common ground is, is uh, reverence and ritual, right? Like just right. kind of, um, you know, having a respect for the process and, and the space and, and the individual. So it's, mm -hmm. um, yeah, it's a beautiful process. I was a student of Curanderismo for a little while and it's, and it's so in depth, you know, like it, it, there's a lot of mechanics involved, um, you know, in such an ancient practice, a lot of unlearning, a lot of, you know, the right, right. reconditioning yourself to understand things that, that don't seem, normal you know to or whatever right. normal means you know so it's it's very interesting i love that you said that it's very like yeah it's you know i'm very very much a fresh student to it you know i've worked with lorena for a few months but um so very much new to it but yeah the sense the essence that i got was like very much about unlearning very much about like learning how to listen you know, in a way that's like listening to the land, listening to um, the silence between words type of like shift less about like, yeah, like unlearning how I, I have typically known to like take in information or the world and more of like this, like shedding the layers of perceiving more into like intuitive listening in a, in a, in a really yeah, in a really profound way. And it seems, it seemed very simple at first to me. And then as I started to like really take in what 
what she was trying to show me. I was like, oh no, this is like learning how to listen is a profound shift, you know, and, and how to, how to actually experience life and how to listen to ourselves. You know, I think a lot of like, a lot of Western ailment is in an accumulation of not hearing, you know, not hearing what our body's saying, not hearing what the way we feel at our job is saying, you know, not, not listening to all the signs in our relationships and stuff like that. So that's definitely a big thing that I took away from the practice was very much like a, yeah, an embodied sensitive listening. Right. Yeah. And it's, um, you know, as, as we know it through our experience with, with integration and, uh, and things of that nature, listening is an art, you know, it, it really is. And it takes patience and, and humility and, uh, compassion in most cases, you know, I, I know that in my experience as an integration coach and, and holding support calls and things of that nature, that's essentially the majority of what I'm doing is allowing people a space to share safely and freely and, uh, and come to their own answers by listening to the words that are coming out of their own mouth, you know, and maybe drawing some lines to connect two dots, you know, but nonetheless, you know, in, in my experience, that's been what the art of integration is, 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 holding space in a way where you're attentive and you're compassionate and understanding you shall share some life experience with the individual so that y'all can correlate, um, you know, the experience in a way that's helpful to the individual and, and their experience, you know? So it's been, um, I think that's the perfect caveat into, into integration right now is, uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, so tell me about soul and psyche. I know that's the, uh, the operating name of your, mm-hmm. of your practice. Um, I know also that it's not only integration. So would you mind touching on that for, for anyone who may not be familiar? Yeah. Yeah. So, so soul and psyche is sort of like the umbrella that um, encapsulates all of the, the offerings that I have to give and, I would say, you know, it's, it's a combination of a few things, um, you know, psychedelic, I, d- I create like kind of like a psychedelic container for folks who, um, people who are interested in psychedelics, um, people are, people who are interested in psychedelics who maybe already have their own relationship with it and they want to go really deep. They want to deepen their practice. Maybe they've sat with ayahuasca a few times and, and they're looking to like, um, actually embody something a little bit deeper. So I, I offer a kind of like an, a, an integration container, a preparation container, um, can one-on-one containers for people to like really go deep with, with one, one experience on medicine. Um, I also serve combo. Um, I also do shamanic breath work, uh, do some one-on-one, but mostly in group settings. Uh, sometimes work, um, in, in retreat settings, um, doing facilitation, um, for different medicines. So yeah, I would say like, um, yeah, soul and psyche is basically just me, um, taking all of the things that I've studied and learned and modalities that have helped me become more in alignment with my truth and try to package those in a way that I can offer as a service to um, give back to the community, but also just give back to mainly the medicines, you know, like I, I feel that, um, coming to 
service for me has been about like, you know, ayahuasca specifically saved my life. And I feel that, you know, my call to integration was basically like, how can I, how can I, um, give back? Like, how can I give thanks to this medicine giving me back my life? And, um, yeah, so I'd say that's kind of like the intention of the prayer that soul and psyche sits on is like, how can I, how can I like take that love that was given to me and like repurpose it in a way that like helps other people honor those experiences and, and embody them more fully, you know, cause ultimately I think feel very strongly about integration and that, and it comes from that love. It comes from that, like, I feel like I was given an immense gift and it would be a shame if we didn't all, uh, yeah, work to work to respect it and and embody it and and, and treat the experience, the medicine as as sacred, you know, and really in practice, you know. Right, of course. Yeah, and I, I find that to be you know a really powerful approach in in your business practice and, and really just your practice in general is that you've taken the initiative to not only certify yourself in integration, but you also come bearing modalities that are fruitful in the integrative process, you know, breath work and, and uh, combo is also, you know, goes hand in hand with, with an experience uh, to remove energies and, and for detoxing and things of that nature. Um, breath work is, is, has been profound for me. I know it, it has been profound for you. Um, so I think it's very important, you know, not to lose sight of, of just having one arrow in the quiver and showing up in that sense. A lot of people, um, lose sight in their, in their medicine experience. Um, you know, I should say it this way. Most people feel called to work with medicine and they think that that call is literally working with the medicine as a facilitator or a medicine man or things of that nature. But what I've shifted my advice for individuals who have that calling is learn more about it through the integration process, you know, so, so instead of like what I find people have as a miscommunication and working with entheogenic plant teachers is they're exactly that they're teachers. And when you're in school, you have a teacher teaching you a lesson, right? But the teacher never takes the test for you. You know, like the teacher doesn't show up to the exam or to the SAT or the ACT or follow you into college. They leave you with the lesson and it's up for it's up to you to apply that lesson in a way that is fruitful. You know, so until you're doing that, you know, you're carrying around a teacher in your backpack, you know, like that's literally it. And these people or these uh, entheogens, I'm sorry, are there to teach us how to how to overcome these limitations, you know, so. So I, I admire what you what you did in your process because it's very similar to what I did in my process. You know, we both sought out integration and education as a response to feeling an innate need to be more involved in the plant medicine communities and the mission of the plants themselves. You know, so I think that's a, that's an important lesson to resonate, you know, especially on this platform, you know, where it's faith and entheogens is what we teach here. So, right. you know, if, if the lack of faith is, is anywhere within, you know, our, our message, then we're falling short, but, mm. um, but yeah, I really appreciate that. I love that you made that distinction with like the call to service, right? And like the people taking, you know, that initial connection with the medicine, literally, like 
this is a call to serve medicine. You know, I, I see folks do that all the time. And um, I think it's a genuine, like the, the desire that's coming up is, is genuine and it's, and I understand how exciting it can be to connect to medicine, but what I notice more often than not is like, you know, I think oftentimes people come out of these uh, experiences and they, and they, they have connected to their truth for the first time in a long time. And there's like this level of excitement where it's like, I got to make this decision. Like now I got to go to the jungle or like quit my job or, or I got to break up with this person and live this new life. And, uh, something that, um, our mutual teacher Cherie taught me was, yeah, if it's true today, you know, it'll be true three months from now. So like, you know, just hold on to it and like, let it, let it gestate, let it mature. And I like, I think that when that excitement to serve, when you sit on it long enough and you allow it to properly mature and gestate, you take that seed and you actually plant it and you let your integrity and your authenticity guide you, you know, you let your soul, you take that, you take that little germinated seed of um, enthusiasm and you, you plant it in the garden of the soul. The soul will guide you to the most authentic expression of your service you know like maybe you learn how to how to serve medicine or whatever but maybe that isn't what's actually authentic to you at your core you know so like maybe the journey takes you um to integration maybe it takes you to a different medicine maybe it takes you to like your children you know like i think like you can serve the medicine by simply like i mean i say simply but like by being a better parent, you know, like there's so many, there's an unlimited, you know, variety of ways that we can embody being of service to plant medicine. And it, I think sometimes it's like our, um, yeah, we get a little misguided in taking it so literally like, Oh, I, now I need to be a shaman. You know, I think that's like, um, it's, it's, uh, I understand the enthusiasm, but yeah, it, it's, I think sometimes a little misguided. Yeah. And, and we've been there, you know, where we, we're just so full of love and the experience and overcoming our limitations and ailments and traumas that we want to bring it to others, you know, and, and it's very similar to what you said in my mind is that in order to serve the medicine, sometimes it's in service to the medicine that you're serving the medicine, you know, and just, uh, that could even be living through example of your, of your, you know, transformation in working with these plants and just being a better human and to the point where your light is shining so bright that people are like, man, what is he doing? No different than losing weight, right? That's what we're doing is we're shedding off spiritual weight, you know, like a, right. an energetic right. weight. And people notice that in your character, in your actions, in your presence and they'll ask. I mean, I get the question all the time, you know, like, and, and honestly, mm -hmm. I get greeted by people all the time where I used to not, maybe I was giving off, you know, a serial killer vibe before, but now, <laughs> you know, now that I'm at peace with myself and I know who I am, like today we're, yeah. we're doing some shopping at Walmart and at least five people engaged with me about just little things, you know, like it's just uh, like becoming yeah. a better human, I think is also a, a, great service to to the medicine 
you know, so there is absolutely no reason to, to take on the risk and the tremendous responsibility that comes in actually serving, you know, a sacrament and, right. and holding that space right. and, and working with energy in a way that you couldn't imagine, you know, that's, that's been a huge part of my lesson is, is, you know, working and navigating through that space that I had no idea existed until I put myself right. in, those, right. in those situations. I love that you use the word risk, you know, cause that, that like totally just brought to my mind, like, yeah, like I think a lot of folks don't realize the, like you said, the risk and the responsibility, you know, it takes when you're serving medicine. Like, I think there's this perception that being, being a shamanic guide is somehow this like sexy, glamorous, you know, like role in it. I think you and I both know Taito pretty well and it's, it's not, you know, and it's, it's also like, you know, it's can be really dangerous, you know, to like, you can be as enthusiastic and, and love the medicine as much as you want, but there's a reason why to become a Taita, you know, you have to, you have to learn for many years, you know, it's, it's, there's a reason why you need to go to medical school to become a doctor. Um, right. You can do some serious damage by serving these very powerful medicines without the proper, you know, like, you know, not only the proper respect to the, the cultures they come from and, and their traditions and their, their teachings, but also like just awareness of how, strong these tools are you know like you can really you can really do a lot of damage and i've seen um you know as an integration specialist i've worked with a lot of people who have um been in situations where they haven't they've taken really strong entheogens without the care of a, of a skilled practitioner and um yeah it can go south you know it absolutely comes with risk and i think it's important I think it's important that people in the community understand that. Absolutely. And that's, that's honestly the, the negative weight that, that is carried with working with psychedelics and entheogens. That's the birth of it is people not taking it with, with a skilled practitioner or in a safe space, you know, so there has been hundreds of people that I've, I've witnessed work with a skilled practitioner that don't come out with psychosis that clinically they may have, uh, you know, been presented with the risk of coming out of that, you know, entheogenic experience with psychosis. But the data that people are working off of are, are from emergency rooms of people that are taking these sacraments by themselves or in a party setting or with somebody who's not skilled, you know, so there's unfortunately not a lot of ways for us to report our successes with working with these entheogens at the moment. You know, there's not a lot of clin clinicians that are accepting data from facilitators and shamans and, and Thaitas and, and the like, you know, like they're, they're seeking a scientific approach, um, a, right. a data driven approach that, that, you know, I, I really feel they're falling short. We have these practicing communities, communities that have been practicing for, for millennia, you know, like that, that we can tap into and ask them, Hey, what is your experience with this, with this symptom? And then just mm. put it to rest, you know, and like, okay, this is like Tylenol for a headache. This is like cough syrup for, you know, a, a congested chest. This is like, you know, like just say admitting that, depression, anxiety, 
all of these things that we already know the medicines are treating these sacraments are are healing um why did why can't we just accept it to be the case instead of you know trying to go through these efforts and and uh like you know processes to prove that what they've been right. telling us all along is true right i think that like i love that you i love that you directed the conversation in 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 this arena of sort of like you know psychedelics uh, coming into the medical data driven um like paradigm and and how almost like resistant the paradigm is to them in a way it's almost like i i notice like a lot of these i mean like good science is 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 totally needed to like create room for these entheogens to be widely accepted and embraced by the culture you know after the drug war it's kind of like psychedelics kind of have a stain you know since the 60s but but to to your point you know i i do think that there's there's something that can be deeply lost in trying to take psilocybin for example and like milk it for its its molecule and plug it into the western medical model to to you know to treat depression where like i think if we did more, more thorough research into the cultures that these medicines come from, I think we would discover that they have a very different perspective on depression and anxiety, how they would treat it, you know, in a sh- from a shamanic lens, and also like how these medicines and these rituals are integrated into their culture, into their communities, you know, and it's like, I think those elements of the medicine are so imperative to what make them so potent and actually healing. You know, it's like, it's not like you go to a Yahi ceremony and you, and you sit in a chair with the headphones on and someone like get put hooks up an IV, you know, like when you go to a Yahi circle, like you're meeting people, you're like, you're having community, there's ritual, then there's the sacrament, there's, there's all of this that goes into the healing, you know, and it's, it's not just this treatment of depression, like you said, it's like, it's, it's, it's so much more than that. And I, I guess I do, I agree, I wish that some of the research was more done in honoring and and investigating kind of like the mechanics of these rituals and cultures that they're coming from, because I do think that's like, the main you know, medicine. Of course. And it's such an important, you know, topic that you brought up about a ceremonial experience um, in the healing process. You know, those two go hand in hand. And and as an observer and as a facilitator and as a participant, what I've known to be true is that certain occurrences within a ceremonial space are actually the healing modality for the person that's engaged in ceremony. You know, I've I've seen mother and son come to ceremony and off in a distance, a man crying to himself. And in the integration circle at the end, he's saying, man, I need to connect with my mother. And it's because I saw how beautiful y'all's experience was. How do you replicate that in a clinical setting when you're by yourself with somebody who's not even working with energy, you know, he's there to administer a medicine, you know, to document your experience, ask you some questions that sometimes are invasive, sometimes are targeted um, based on their experience and, and their expectation of your 
uh, particular ailment or symptom. And it could be well off the mark. As you know, words are magic spells, man. Like, especially with these entheogens, if you ask anyone a question, you've now ripped them out of their experience and drawn the attention to you and your needs, not the individual's needs. Right. So it's very, you know, it's going to be interesting to see the development of of a clinical, you know, approach to to administering, uh, you know, psilocybin, ayahuasca, ibogaine, iboga, all of these that, that, you know, require, you know, a significant amount of energy work, um, or if they just decide to, you know, shift their focus towards the pharmaceutical grade, you know, LSD, ketamine, MDMA approach. So it's going to be, it's interesting, you know, and we're right in the middle of it. So, so I I feel most connected with entheogens and, um, and for that reason, because they're, they are, you know, the reason we are um, discovering ourselves once again, they are the reasons Mm -hmm. we're becoming whole once again. And, and, you know, there's magic beyond words, you know, in in those experiences. I love that you brought up the example of the, the son and daughter, you know, that's like a perfect encapsulation of like the essence of what happens at a ceremony is like coming back to our wholeness, coming back to our humanness, what, what makes us connected. You know, most people say at the end of this ceremony, like I've never felt more connected and that's what ends up being, that's what ends up being the medicine, you know, it's like this sense of connection to ourselves, to the planet, to other people. And like the ritual allows for that wholeness to kind of enter and that and then we kind of like i've noticed this kind of awareness of our soul wounds and like i know soul is a word that we both you know first and foremost use for our businesses and i think that that's like you know it's very intentional you know i think these are soul medicines and and when i think of when i think of psychedelics in a clinical setting it's again it's more of that soul being removed it's like our culture really wants to sterilize these experiences we want to we're creating more separation more more straight corners and 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 boundaries you know clinical boundaries it's very like patient doctor you know we're we're pulling the soul out of these experiences when i think the soul is what makes these things um so profoundly healing and you know not to say that there isn't a place for clinical the clinical use of psychedelics i I don't want to give that impression at all but what i do think is going to happen is this big wave of psychedelics coming back into the mainstream i think i think clinical the clinical use of psychedelics isn't going to fruit the same way that the spiritual and ritual and indigenous you know use of uh, entheogens is going to fruit, you know, if they did, like you said, this research and actually saw the impact that was happening from these ceremonies and like that situation you just said, you know, like those are profound moments that I've witnessed that just being a fly on the wall, just being a facilitator, like I've been deeply affected by watching some of those interactions between mother, daughter, between like people processing and and expressing those in a group setting. It's really like, um, yeah, it's magic. Right. Of course. And, and what I think is most important, um, you know, 
Well, the reason I follow clinical data and, and progression within the clinical space is because, you know, we're both integration coaches and that's, that is a birth child of, of the clinical setting. That's not something that came with the, uh, with the ancient practices that, that we've now found ourselves involved with. Right. So it is kind of the happy medium between you know, ancient wisdom and clinical approaches to, to Western cultures specifically, you know, like, so for us, for anyone who, who is not third world or anyone who, who has not uh, grown up in a setting where these medicines are, are normal, um, you know, normal practice within a community, um, we're left to our own devices after a, a ceremony or a, a entheogenic experience. So integration is the only thing that ties us back to the medicine once we leave the ceremony space and go back into the real world where it's we're back to and no longer being accepted by society for the actions that we just, you know, uh, took part in. So it's yeah. um, it's a very important thing that I think was a gift from clinicians was a gift from, you know, the medical field that, uh, that we can now embody and, uh, and safeguard our, our, you know, participants, our congregation and our members with, you know, so it's, um, I think it's a super important part of the process. You know, that is the process in my mind, you know, you have the entheogenic experience and the ceremony starts immediately after that, where you indoctrinate all the all the lessons you learned in that one ceremony in a way that's fruitful for your life and the people you care about. So in your experience, um, what is for you the most important aspect of integration that that we should not lose sight of? I love I love that you, you know, tied it back to like, you know, the difference between, you know, these the sort of um, cultures that this medicine comes from the way of life, like tribal living, you know, and, you know, coming out of a ceremony and then you're kind of, you're kind of pushed back into society. And that sort of like, is the birth of integration is that like, wow, there's this massive gap between like, sort of like the, the rituals and way of life that these medicines sort of offer and the way that we're living now societally. And like, boom, there's the birth of like the need for integration. And I think that like just acknowledging that need, I think is super important because, you know, I talk to a lot of people who are like, I had this life-changing experience. Like, why do I need integration? Like what's, what's the need here? And it's usually not until someone, you know, finds themselves deeply in need of integration that they go, Oh, like now like, and now I need help. I need integration. And it's exactly that. It's, it's that like these medicines help us come back to our essence. They help us come back to it, a simpler way of living, a more connected living, um, living in, in smaller tribes, communities, kind of like the values that go in hand in hand with that. Like, you know, the way that we are, uh, deeply in need to be connected to the land, whether that's by farming, by living close to the land, by, um, living in smaller communities. And then you, uh, you know, you do ayahuasca in, in Peru and you have this connective experience and you're integrating with, with people. And then you're back into your studio apartment in New York city. And, you know, we're creatures of, um, our environment. We're deeply affected by our environment. So 
you know, at one moment you were deeply connected. You, you knew what your truth was. And then a month goes by at your corporate job in New York city. And all of a sudden, you know, your ayahuasca experience feels like a distant memory. Not only that, but now you have this sense of, you know, what's missing now. Like, you know what it feels like to be connected to nature. You know what it feels like to be connected to community and tribe. So I think the most important part of integration to, to come back to your question is that um, I think it's really important to consider our culture that we come from um, and that, you know, we have a lot of unlearning to do. You know, we have a lot of practicing to do in a way that like, um, to live in a way that's more in alignment with, um, our soul with, with, uh, living in a way that's more in alignment with nature, you know, society isn't, isn't necessarily a natural way of, of life. And I think that that's a very, um, I think that's something that we can't take too lightly. So I think when it comes to integration, something that's important to keep in mind is that it's a practice and it's a way of life. It's a way of, it's a way of living, you know, like I think you can have the approach of taking entheogens and, and going to these ceremonies and thinking that I went to this ceremony and I received healing and now I'm going to go back to my environment and I'm still going to be better. And that's not the case, you know, like the case is that we have to take that and we have to now practice and embody a way of living that's going to support what came through in that ceremony. And sometimes that's really uncomfortable. And sometimes it's antithetical to the way that you've been living. And sometimes that's like really confronting, you know? So I think that's kind of like the biggest takeaway for me, for people to consider is that like, sometimes these entheogens are asking us to live in a way that's totally new and um will be incredibly fruitful for our health but i don't think it's any um mystery as to why we are culturally struggling so deeply with depression and, and anxiety and all these things you know i don't think it's uh i don't think it's random i think it's a product of of the way that we live you know and these these medicines really help us connect to that truth you know of course. And I, I love this subject because it, it reminds me of, of someone that I worked with in the process of learning the integration, you know, application or application of integration, if you will. And it was in the middle of a ceremony. I was still volunteering with uh, with the community at the time. And um, he kept referencing his previous ceremonies like you know, I just drank, uh, you know, X amount of, of the sacrament and I didn't have anywhere near as prolific or profound experience as I did before. I was just kind of with myself, it, you know, left to my own devices. And I remember in that moment, reflecting on what he was saying and understanding it as, as what I now get to, to witness is, it, you know, the people who are not at adopting an integration practice are habitual ceremony attendees. They think that the medicine is within the ceremonial space. So they continue to come back to that instead of embodying these lessons and, and teaching themselves along the way. 
So I remember telling him like, you know, what was your intention for the medicine? And he was like, well, I wanted to, to experience self-love. I wanted to find love within myself again. I was like, well, the medicine gave you exactly that. It it left you by yourself without any distractions in a very quiet setting, you know, so that you can connect with yourself. You know, you don't need anything outside of that. And he just, you know, basically saw his mind blow up in, in realization that, like, oh, my God, I got exactly what I asked for. And I'm over here condemning the medicine, condemning the experience mm. based on a previous, you know, experience, uh, you know, that he had had uh, before, you know. So it, it's yeah. it's a fine line of of medicine work and and self-discovery and, and self-growth, you know, like uh, it's it's sometimes required to go deeper with medicine. But absolutely, most of us who are holding space in in an earnest and and sincere way are hoping we never see the people again, you know, because we understand right, it to right. be, you know, so powerful of an experience that that it could be life altering in a way that maybe they mm-hmm. show up as a volunteer next time, or you know, as as whatever the case may be, a different role other than a participant in the ceremony, communing, you know, with the sacraments. Yeah. I love that, like, I, I love that just like highlight of how the medicine teaches, you know, it's, it's so like, it's cliche, you know, for folks who have been in ceremony space, but it's like, you always get your intention and like, it always shows up never how you expect it, you know, like expecting this revelatory experience. And sometimes, sometimes the medicine you have no, you know, like, experience you no know, visuals all this stuff and it's it's always like pushing you in a direction towards the lesson that you need as opposed to the lesson that you want the thing that you're you're coming to your ego's coming to to experience this thing but maybe your soul actually needs something you know completely different and um exactly. yeah I, I love this like um i love the conversation around integration because i think i think this is like um something that's really misunderstood. And it's also like kind of a catch term, you know, people like, yeah, integration, you got to integrate. And it's like, I was just talking to a friend who I was like, yeah, sometimes I think people are under the impression that integration is just the sharing of your experience with the group. You know, it's integration is so much more than that. And um, I wish, I wish I could somehow communicate you know, how potent the practice of integration can potentially be with these all these, you know, different modalities, whether it's IFS or depth psychology or, or combo, like, um, I had a client who came to me and was like, you know, I, I worked with psychedelics unintentionally in the sixties, you know, and, mm-hmm. and I, I want to come back to it in an intentional way. I want to work with ayahuasca. I want to sit with ayahuasca like four or five times this year. And, uh, you know, I'm reaching out to you for some guidance and I was like, okay, like, four or five times it's pretty ambitious for someone who's never sat with medicine and it's it's been a long time since you've sat with psychedelics and it turns out this this client of mine sat with the medicine and had such a strong experience you know we spent the next year integrating that experience and they didn't end up sitting with medicine ever again and that experience continued it's like a thread that like just kept as it unwound was like still provided nourishment and energy and like 
it wasn't like I had this experience and it's a memory and now it's gone. It's like that experience was so alive because this person tended to the garden of it and like kept it alive. And, you know, I could, I could reach out to them now and it's still something that like they can access and it's still nourishing their life in a way. And it was just one time they just sat one night, you know? So it really, you know, integration has the potential to, you know, take these experiences and make them, um, you know, sustaining spiritual nourishment for a lifetime, really. Absolutely. And it's, it's, uh, it's right on point. You, you're using the two words that I use in lesson almost initially when I start working with a, either a support group or, or a new client is understanding the difference between an expectation and an intention. And you're never disappointed if your intention is not met because you just intended it to happen. But if you expected it, then it comes with disappointment and blame and shame and finger pointing and all of it, you know? So mm -hmm. it's important to understand the difference. If you show up knowing that you're going to have an ego death, I promise you, you won't, you know, like <laughs> I promise you that you will. Yeah, absolutely. And if you say you did, I doubt it, you know, like just right. because it's, it's, uh, and maybe you did, right. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I don't know what I'm talking about, but nonetheless, what I've observed and, and in, through my experiences, if you are showing up with intention, this falls right back with what you were saying. It's always met, maybe not in the way that you expected it to, but yeah. I promise you that the fruit of your labor is going to come back in a way that is going to meet your intention for the yeah. ceremony. Tenfold. You know, there's this analogy that Cherie uses our, our teacher that I really like. It's, um, an intention is, or intentions versus expectations. An intention is to put a, put an address in your GPS and let the GPS take you where on whatever roads it may and trust that you're going to get to your destination. You know, an expectation is you put it into the GPS and then it, the GPS tells you to make a left out of your driveway and you're like, I never make a left out of my driveway. Where are we? I don't, this isn't, you know? And then all of a sudden you're like fighting with the medicine, you're fighting with this and you're not trusting that like, you know, maybe it's taking you on a detour for a reason, you know, like you got to trust, you have to be able to take that intention and then totally let it go. And um, it always, it always comes back tenfold. No, absolutely. And you're right. You know, Cherie definitely hits it on the head, um, you know, in that direction and, and differentiation between intention and expectation. I absolutely love that analogy too. Um, and honestly, I love Cherie. We should just plug Cherie, right? <laughs> Cherie, Cherie is uh, responsible for a lot of our training. We love her to death. Yeah, absolutely. If you're interested in psychedelic integration, I'd highly recommend her coursework and mm -hmm. um, yeah, psychedelic school is her website psychedelicschool.com um, if you want more information or details you can reach out to either Otto or i we'd be happy to uh to point you in the right direction but um nonetheless um what i think is fruitful in in intention work like coming back to just working through intention instead of expectation is is finding a, fi a foundational intention versus a surface level intention. Like, so a lot of the people that have this expectation, I wanna be a happier person, right? They're not doing the preparatory work that would discover, I need to get rid of my people pleasing skills. 
you know, which are because I'm not pleasing everyone, it's making me unhappy, you know, like, so these little things working backwards to a, a foundational level is, is oftentimes an easier way to have your intention met, you know, like having a foundational intention is, is a perfect mm-hmm. approach for, for showing up to the medicine. Yeah. And it's worked for the people that I've worked with and I use it myself, you know, like I, I spend a lot of time preparing before I actually sit with the medicine, you know, like mm-hmm. there's, it's working on you as soon as you commit to the ceremony, you know, absolutely consciously and consciously, you know, mm-hmm. so you start looking, to like, notice things in your in your relationships you start to like notice the way you feel when you eat certain foods you know dieta is like is it's an art you know like um i love you know i love that you brought it back to like preparation being kind of like your insurance policy for the experience like it is your integration you know like and I think a lot of folks don't realize how effective preparation is in having a transformative experience. You know, like I think a lot of folks place a lot of, a lot of weight on the medicine being like, I'm paying for this experience that like the medicine's going to give me that. And I don't have to meet it halfway. Where like preparation, you know, the more work you do around preparing for these experiences, it could be, you know, night and day the quality of the experience you're going to have in someone who hasn't prepared versus someone who has prepared and something, something that I found that has been really helpful too, is that like, you know, preparation can help you have a more fruitful experience. It could also help you deal with potential resistance. You know, like I like to use internal family systems as a integration modality. It's something that I've, I've studied quite a bit and I'm continuing to study and, Um, So parts work, you know, working with different parts of us. And a lot of times when people go into these experiences, they experience, you know, an intense amount of resistance, you know, maybe they've taken a lot of medicine, all of a sudden it's coming up very strong. And everyone says, you know, like, you got to let go, you got to surrender, but maybe there's a part of us that's protected so much, um, you know, because of trauma and has had to protect, you know, and that's, you know, that's not a bad thing. So what's beautiful about preparation is we can start to get in touch with these parts. We can start to create safety. We can start to get to know, you know, like you're saying, like, what are the mechanisms of like, that's creating this unhappiness in my life. And I think what you do is you start to like really create this like web of understanding where all this stuff is coming from. You're starting to like do the legwork. You're meeting the medicine halfway. And then when you sit with the medicine, it's like, this huge explosion of like all the dots are connected. Everything makes sense. You're like, Holy shit. Like, of course I'm experiencing this, you know? And it's like, you just have to do a little bit of legwork, you know, and, and meet the medicine halfway. And it really, it really does. Um, it really does come back tenfold. Oh, absolutely. And it is, it's, it's tremendously, in my opinion, the most important part of the process. And, right. and when I, when I present myself as an integration guide or coach, I always tell people that my responsibility is, is preparing you, giving you the skills to navigate your experience and receiving you in a way that's going to help you make sense of it all. And that's it. Those are the three roles that I'm going to fulfill in our engagement together. You know, and um, and the preparatory work is is the I think the 
the biggest part of it all, you know, like really taking it seriously, showing reverence for the ceremony, understanding the ceremony structure. And, and that way you're not, you know, off put by not knowing you can't cross through a circle in, in that particular ceremony right, right. or that there is no water in that particular ceremony. You know? right, so there's a right. lot of things that you can do that can draw you out of your experience um, just Absolutely. because you weren't aware that, that that's what you should, you know, expect out of out of um you know your engagement in in that particular tribe's um you know ritual or or ceremony so it's um there's a lot of a lot of mechanics involved in in preparing mm-hmm. to sit with these these medicines you know for sure um so i i also want to come back to to something you mentioned about integration where uh, people's expectations now and i agree with you wholeheartedly is that the integration practice is literally just sharing your experience out loud um, w- with either an individual or or a group setting. Um, I I know that to be um, support work, you know, like a, a a basically support structure or a support group, if you will, that is is bountiful and in, in its in its own right. It it gives other people, you know, in in a group setting that is permission to share a similar experience, but it isn't in my mind, an appropriate approach for actual integration work, right? Like, so in my, in my experience, I've stopped calling my circles, integration circles. I've started calling them support calls or support groups, because that is what we're doing in those instances. We're not able to show up in a group of 30 people and address your individual needs or dive deep into your individual experience because we're sharing time amongst, you know, even if it's five or 10, you know, people are less likely to share the personal notes that, uh, that led to their experience in those settings oftentimes, you know, Mm -hmm. so what is your, what is your opinion of, of the integration process as, as it compares to an individual practice and a group practice? Yeah. I love that you're bringing him back to this because I, I agree. I think, yeah, I think the, the group settings are more support oriented. You know, they, they are more, um, yeah, I think, I think the sharing circles are beautiful and you can have these really profound moments that um, when hearing other people share can, I think, aid in your integration practice, but ultimately you know, you're not going to be able to really dive deep into your own integration, just leaning on these support calls, you know? And, um, so I think the, a big difference I find is, you know, a lot of, a lot of folks come to me who are, um, have worked with psychedelics and don't really understand integration, have only gone to the support calls and are like, yeah, I have no idea what you do in a one-on-one integration. I don't even know, you know, what one would, one would do. And, you know, I personally feel that, so the experience you have, right, it's, I'd like to see it as, um, it's alive. There's a vitality to it. You know, like when you think back on your Bufo experience, you have feelings, you know, like there, there is like a lot that wells up in you, especially like right after the experience. And what is that? You know, there's, there's a lot going on. There's, there's. Um, new th- new thoughts about relationships. There's new reflections on on self. There's there's a new maybe philosophy about religion, about God. There might be 
um, a new budding spirituality. You know, there's, there's all these seeds and there's all this vitality. There's all this life force energy. So I think in the one-on-one container, the way I see integration is helping someone create the conditions for those seeds to be planted and properly the garden of those seeds to be properly tended. And, and every day you're coming back to that garden, whether that's with certain practices or just simply awareness, you know, but it's basically this continual showing up and tending to this garden and engaging with it presently. And you'll notice like, Oh, something's growing over here. And there's, there's all these, these new flowers. And it's like, Oh, now there's like this external thing that's trying to like eat, eat this part of the garden or like, Oh, I kind of have to like pull these weeds. Like, you know, it's like, I think integration in a one-on-one setting is more about this active engagement with the ceremony brings up material. It brings up new perspectives. It brings up new feelings. It brings up new traumas. You know, it brings up all this stuff. And the one-on-one practice is about, all right, we're going to continue to engage with all of this stuff that's coming up and we're going to keep following it. We're going to keep, we're going to keep tending to it. We're going to keep bringing attention to it. We're going to follow through with the conversations we need to have. We're going to use these modalities to explore new avenues of these things. Maybe it's about reading a new book. Maybe it's about starting a meditation practice. Maybe it's about having a conversation with your spouse. Maybe it's about having someone there to speak out new thoughts and ideas and, and connect them to your childhood or or certain relationship patterns you have, you know, it's like, um, it's a deep process, you know, like one-on-one integration and, and like these support containers couldn't be more, uh, different, you know, but I'm glad that we have a platform like this. I'm glad that I get to speak with you about integration. Cause I don't think, I don't think many people really know what, you know, one-on-one integration practices like, and, and I wish more people did know, because I think it's, it's a profound, uh, modality. It's a profound art. Absolutely. And listening to your explanation brings me, it almost birthed an, and it did, it birthed an analogy in my head of teacher, pupil, tutor, right? So an integration coach is the tutor that, that allows you to prepare for the test, you know, like, so you have the teacher plant delivering the messages to you in, in raw form. And most of it, as you know, and, and most people who have had an entheogenic experience know is overwhelming in its content. Like, so a lot of it, we don't hold on to. That's why I always encourage journaling immediately after, or even during an entheogenic experience, I kind of shy away from during because you're shifting your focus away from the lesson to take those notes. Right. But if it's absolutely necessary, necessary, then jot it down in shorthand and get back to the experience at hand, you know, but it's very similar to you show up to class, right? The teacher delivers the message. If you didn't grasp it, which happens to all of us in this instance, right, right. Right. you're not going to walk out an expert in antigens in your first sitting. Then you call on, upon a tutor to sharpen those edges and to, to get deliver the message in a way that's, that is digestible. And then you move forward, you know, with, with taking your test, which in this, this form would be the test of life, you know, like a fulfilled, you know, mindful, meaningful life experience. 
So, mm-hmm. yeah. And, it, and thank you for that. And like, just, just hearing that take on, on the role we have in an in individual, you know, delivery of integration, you know, that is that it sounded to me like you were describing the relationship between a pupil, a teacher and a tutor, you know, like, so, so it is, it's a, an interesting um, an important take on on the subject, and yeah. you know, I'm not. I, I'm a huge proponent of of group integration calls. You know that support setting, like I said, allows and gives permission to people who otherwise would not have spoke because they felt they were the only person that went through that experience or the only victim to a trauma or the only survivor of a of you know a violent act or a sexual act against them you know these these things um we grant permission to share in those settings and it's something that I think integration um, coaches and guides should make note of in a way that they can use the information that was unearthed in those experiences to reach out in an individual basis and say, look, this is what I know you need to work on now that we've unearthed this, right. this problem within you, you know? And uh, mm-hmm. so they are, they're very important, but I think the industry as a whole is is shifting its focus at these you know especially because of the like you know the pandemic zoom became the the meetup you know like that is how we were we're forming these uh support groups together i still use zoom it's very effective we now have participants coming from all over the united states that would lose out on that on that experience uh because they're not local here in houston but um nonetheless it's um it's become normal for people to associate a group call with an integration service, you know? So I, I don't think it's a disservice, right? To, to, to the trade. Right. But what I do understand it to be is falling short of the actual responsibility of an integration coaching guide. If that is the right. only way that you're delivering the message, then you're throwing a bunch of seeds, if you will, at the soil and hoping something grows you know, and, uh, like, yeah. And not tending to it. Exactly. Exactly. It's like well-intended, super helpful, you know, support calls are incredible. I've seen magic happen in them. And also they, they tend to be superficial, you know, they tend to, to not go super deep just in, because of the structure, you know, you, how deep can you go with, you know, 10, 15 people sharing. And also like something that comes up is language too, you know, like, a lot of these experiences, you know, speaking in words sometimes doesn't doesn't really hit the mark, you know. So a lot of times in these one-on-one containers, um, there's so much more than language that comes up, and there's more there's more room for um, the totality of the experience to to sort of like show itself. And I love that analogy you used, especially you know, just to add a little bit to it. I think I think language, like it's almost like learning a it's like the, your language tutor, you know, too, because like, it's like the teacher is almost speaking a different language. You know, these plants speak like they speak through your body. They speak through metaphor. They speak through imagery and, and deeply rich symbolism, you know, and all this. And it's almost like we're learning a new language. And it's like when we were in the experience, we understood the language. And then afterwards, we try to we starting to put words to it. And you're like, why is this not? I'm trying to like tell you the experience and it doesn't make any sense. And you have this tutor who can be like, 
I've known Spanish my whole life. Like I can tell you how to like, you know, guide you into learning this language, how to like, how to, um, how to listen to the plants, you know, and it's, it's invaluable to have someone there to like, also, you know, learning a language is something that takes that. It's like a muscle, you know, you have to continue to engage with it. You have to continue to tend to that garden and, um, you're just having, having the one experience or just going to the support calls isn't, isn't going to cut it. I don't think. Right. Of course. And, you know, it pains me to say that I'm having such a hard time learning a language after you fine tune that, that analogy, you know, because I, I, you know, I've, I've been struggling to learn Spanish for a really long time. Thankfully, um, I'm, uh, you know, I'm in a household that speaks a lot of Spanish now, so it's coming along, but it's just a, you know, just add little funny. You're definitely thing. learning more. You're learning more than me. I feel like being in Mexico for a few months was so nourishing like i that was like starting to pick up the language like the muscle started to like and now it's atrophied now that i haven't been in mexico it's like i'm losing it quick and that's that's similar to me and my experience you know yeah it's, it translates directly into integration you know the modalities Absolutely. that help you along the way are are embodiments of of a modality not not a quick fix you know we're not taking tylenol mm -hmm. here for a headache you know we're we're making life changes that are sustainable and and fruitful it's amazing so it's, it's good to be a part of you know for sure yeah absolutely so yeah. as we and and especially in your role as a as now a teacher for psychedelic schools um what do you find is is most important for anyone who's interested in you know getting more involved with integration certifying um you know and and really became like making this a part of their practice or what do you think is the most important um, aspect of integration that they should start you know embodying right now or start focusing on right now yeah so i think I think a lot of people come in with this, this um, sort of approach of like, I need to learn the right modality. I need to learn from the right teacher or I need to learn IFS or I need to become a somatic experiencing practitioner, or I need to study with this teacher and, and to ground that intention, like we were talking about in the, in, in the beginning of the call to ground that, um, that excitement to serve i think the most important thing is to be your first client and to focus heavily on integrating your own wholeness you know like you are your first client and you know people use this term holding space often and what that means to me is that I've created so much space within myself that I can hold someone else's totality. I can hold someone else's wholeness because I have so much, I've created so much spaciousness in myself. So like these modalities, these tools, like IFS is like invaluable to me. Sure. Like psychedelic school, all this stuff has been so helpful, but at its core, none of that would be useful to me in showing up for someone else if i wasn't fully engaged in my own healing process in my own integration process and i think i think that gets lost i think i think it's easy to fall off of that 
And I think it is the, it is the core thing to focus on if you are interested in um, potentially providing any sort of like either integration or holding space in any sort of capacity, you know, is, is being, being your first client. Absolutely. I love that you brought up holding space because it is the, the canned response to (laughs) what people, you know, expect out of a facilitator or an integration coach. And what, you know, I'm realizing in, in your words is that holding space for an integration coach is exactly the same as holding a scalpel for a surgeon. You know, that is the realm that we operate in, you know, so it's not as easy as sitting next to somebody and, you know, saying mantras to yourself and fulfilling the, you know, exterior role of what people perceive as holding space. It's it's um, applying your experience and your knowledge and your time and effort within, you know, understanding, you know, the the message that, that these plants deliver and mm-hmm. uh, and showing up in a compassionate way and showing up in a patient way and and, you know, developing a level of understanding to where you're literally showing up for that person and sharing space that very similarly to how you put it, you know, you have enough space to offer, you know, like in, yeah. in those instances. So it's a, it's a beautiful, you know, a beautiful message. I think that a lot of people should hear and, and understand, uh, especially that are showing up, you know, it, it comes it even ties into the importance of certification, you know, like the importance right. of, of, you know, showing up as a professional, integration coach as a professional integration guide with sincerity with with uh, the sacrifice that it takes to to get to that point you know yeah and there's a lot of people that are enacting the the role you know from from a you know a good place i i would imagine but without the infrastructure without the foundation that it takes to really show up for these people so yeah and i'm glad you brought that up so Mm -hmm. In in your experience as a, as a teacher, um, I I know you're seeing the the profession bud. Where do you see the future of integration? And uh, I mean, that's probably an obvious question after our conversation. But nonetheless, I'd like to see your take on on how the future of integration looks for you, and whether or not people should still consider this as as a career or or a profession. Yeah, I think. Um, the future of integration, um, as far as like a, as far as a, um, role, I think, I think the way I see it is I'm excited because I think that, I think that we have, as a society in the West have really like leaned on like psychotherapy, psychiatry to be the space holders for us. And with this new budding field of integration with entheogens, I see, you know, like I see psychotherapists being able to be integration specialists. That's great. And I see this huge dimension opening up of healers. Now people who can be, can, can cultivate their own offering, their own space holding that combines their soul's medicine. You know, these, these are people who can show up fully in their authenticity and offer um, maybe somatic experiencing. Maybe they're adding um, 
Tantra. Maybe they have like a mix of like, you know, I work with people who have complex PTSD and I have modalities for that. And what I, what I see is that like, I see this like rainbow of um, support that's specialized that actually will help people heal in a really, in a very real way. So I think that like, I think the field is budding and I think it's budding in a really great way, as long as it's an integrity, you know, like, like we were talking, like as long as people are taking the time to heal themselves and to learn to really like devote themselves to study so they can actually show up for people in a real way and in a way that's an integrity and can actually help other people. But if, if, as long as folks are doing that, I see that what this is opening up is, this is opening us up culturally to more than just psychotherapy, you know, like psychotherapy can't hold all of the burdens of our wounds, you know? And I think that like, it's a beautiful thing that these medicines are creating spaces where, you know, people can more specifically support, you know, unique situations, whether it's like, um, you know, things like warrior quest people are holding space for, um, PTSD war vets, or, you know, whether it's people with very specific sexual trauma, you know, like, I think it's a really beautiful field. And, um, yeah, I see it going in the direction of, I see, I definitely see, I'm partial to thinking that the Western medical model is going to try to like create a, a monopoly on it, which worries me, but but I think that people will gravitate towards what is most um, helpful for them. And and in that way, I I see the need and hopefully the um, more room for churches, for space for indigenous tribes to come and, and offer their medicine and their wisdom. And when I think of integration and my role, I think of like, I would like to create a space where, I can support the indigenous wisdom to come and help us restructure society. How, how can we restructure the way that we live on a fundamental way that supports, you know, kind of the medicine and the healing that these, these teachers are trying to get through to us, you know, how, to, to live more in accordance with nature and, and um, uh, with, you know, um, yeah, treating each other in a, in a fundamentally different way. So yeah, I think, I think the field is going to bud in a really beautiful way. And I also see some, some potential speed bumps and pitfalls along the way with the way that the medical model is set up now, but yeah, ultimately I think it's, it's in a, it's headed in a really good direction. Right. Of course. And I think, I think so long as people are staying within the scope of their experience and training, then, then everybody's medicine is welcomed. You know, I don't need a medical degree to perform CPR on someone who's choking in a restaurant. So I wouldn't, right. I wouldn't just ignore them because I'm not a doctor. You know, I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't, you know, not put a bandage on a wound because I'm not a doctor. You know, there's a mm-hmm. lot of, there's a lot of uh, compassionate care, a lot of uh, showing up for people that we can do without these certifications. But I think it's very important. You know, I, I don't think the certification is a requirement of service to medicine, right? There's not anyone certified in in Peruvian, you know, 
uh, circles. They're like traditional ceremonial circles, you know, that's, it's all experience based and, and, um, like, you know, there's, there's just not a lot of formality in that sense. And, and they seem to be doing just fine with their practice. So it's hard for me to see the medical model. You know, there's obviously going to be hierarchy, in my opinion, you know, and that's to be expected where, um, you know, a psychologist is going to say that a certified psychedelic integration guide is not a professional because they didn't go through, um, you know, psychology school or whatever formal training, you know, so, but tell that to the people that we've helped already, you know, tell that to the person like, and really it doesn't even take an integration guide in some cases, the compassion that some of my volunteers are showing up with in ceremony is enough to transform people in a way that I couldn't have done right. in that moment, you know, just by showing humility, by helping them, you know, in, mm-hmm. in awkward situations or, or right. uncomfortable situations is enough to re- like rekindle their hope in humanity, you know? So right. should I tell that person not to, not to help in those instances because he doesn't have a medical degree or yeah. whatever the case may be? Of course not. You know, there's, there's yeah. always going to be room for people to, to aid in, in those senses, you know? So it's also to that point, you know, like integration is a new modality, you know? And I, and I think that like, I was having this conversation, a friend of mine who's been a psychotherapist for the last 30 years, and we were sort of like trading notes and came to the conclusion that, yeah, integration is not psychotherapy, you know, like the elements of psychotherapy can aid in integration, but integration as a practice, as a, as a modality is a unique thing, you know? And and to mistake the two or to take the two as synonymous, I think, I think might be, might be a mistake, you know, and I, and I hope we don't make that mistake because like, you know, like you're saying, like where these, where these medicines come from, you know, they have a different way of learning and a different, a different way of applying knowledge. And I think that if we leave that a little bit more open to creative expression, I think that, we can use the elements from Western psychotherapy or these different schools of thought, and we can combine them into an integration practice. That's, that's a lot more um, conducive to the medicines. Oh, absolutely. And, and it's very much a Western necessity, you know, that integration and, and it's partly, and, you know, I'm reading the four altars by Alonso del Rio right now, and he broaches the subject um, to a root cause of humanity disconnecting from the masculine and feminine, you know, the masculine being spirituality, the feminine being mother nature, you know, and the bridge between the two being consciousness, you know, which is our responsibility, being conscious of the spirit and matter, you know? So what has happened to us is we've put masculinity on a pedestal so much so that historically we've taken responsibilities away from women. We've taken recognition away from their role societally, you know, down to the disrespect of the mother as a whole, you know, Pachamama and, and mother earth, you know, so it's, it's, um, 
it is not necessarily the same in in a natural setting where these tribes are, are sharing you know like they they have not disconnected and disassociated themselves so severely as us right and where we are in a western society operating almost as machines you know um instead right. of as, as a symbiotic relationship between nature and and humanity so it is it's it's a I think a byproduct of our Western civilization, you know, and a necessary byproduct of that is, you know, integration is something that we're going to have to learn to embody that we're going to have to learn to practice. Otherwise these teachers are just going to keep teaching to deaf ears, you know? Exactly. I love that you brought in the sort of the patriarchy and like our disconnection to the planet and and our mother, you know, because like, I think that there's a lot of people who are living in this, civilization who who you know don't have such a strong emotional connection to the planet you know see that as like a liberal or or a certain certain um perspective where you know these more these spiritual cultures that these medicines come from there's less separation of the masculine and feminine and there is this direct connection and the deep spiritual and emotional nourishment that comes from connection to Pachamama that has changed my life. I know it has changed your life. Like ayahuasca brought, that was like the first thing that brought me to my knees was this experience of being one with the planet being like, you know, now I see the birds and and I, I pull stuff from the garden and I feel this deep emotional connection. Like when I, and it's, that connection creates this sense of well-being in my life that like, you know, no, no therapist is going to offer me, you know, like this is like a fundamental way of changing the way we live and the way that we relate to our mother, you know, the, the greatest mother we have, which is like our planet. And um, yeah, if people can come to that with these medicines, you know, like, I think, I think we're on a good trajectory. No, absolutely. Any any form of rekindling spirituality in my mind is the direct connection between human and nature, you know, like, absolutely. So so you're right. And it's it's beautiful to witness. It's, you know, we both are privileged to be observers of of many people who are, are sharing these experiences. So that's why I think we both share the sentiment that the future is bright for humanity and all hope is not lost. You know, we are seeing this impact people in, in beautiful and and life altering ways, um, undoubtedly. And, and I feel, you know, um, very centered around, uh, you know, the fact that spirituality is, is the, the, you know, if you will, a, a entryway into, into these mystical experiences. Um, it's, it's really the only way to explain what it is we're, we're experiencing, you know, like you yeah. can, you can break it down to science and the reaction of brain chemistry, but how did it formulate a being that I had a conversation with? How did it right. put me in a place that exists physically that I did not know of in all of my education, like for me, you know, I'm referencing a city in Egypt that came to me and I had no idea it existed, but the first thing I did was Google it and it exists and it looks exactly <laughs> how my experience was. And I was like, Oh my yeah, God. Yeah. You know? 
Mm-hmm. How do you explain that? You know, if right. it's just brain chemistry, you know, it, it's mm-hmm. just not, there's no other way than mysticism and spirituality to connect those yeah. dots, you know, in, in many exactly. cases. Yeah. So, but yeah, it's, um, it is a spiritual path, you know, undoubtedly. And, and, you know, I think the clinical setting is going to have a hard time with spirituality, you know, cause I, yeah. I remember the engagement I had with a lot of psychotherapists was, you know, the canned, you can't sage this away response to some of the things that I was sharing, you know, and it's like, well, if you want to talk science, sage kills airborne pathogens, <laughs> you know, like the, <laughs> the tribes may not know that, but yeah. that is, you know, ultimately why they were directed to burn that plant, you know, like, right. because it's, right. it's clearly literally cleansing the space, you know, it's like, yeah. so, you know, there's just a, it's going to be an interesting push and shove experience mm-hmm. you know and and it's nice to be on the side of love <laughs> you know like right of, right instead of on the side of the bull you know mm-hmm. that, that is the the medical industry so it's interesting but um, yeah i do hope it you know i think when when i think about that sort of push and pull i think a lot of it boils down to like sort of the arrogance of of science you know like science has this like I think science and this more mystical spiritual um, awareness and language need each other, you know, like they can come together in a, in such a beautiful way, as long as like, as long as science is willing to, you know, humble itself enough to allow the mysticism to like animate our world, you know, like, um, we're starving for it, you know, we're starving for the poetic in, in the world. And I think that's like why we are so one of the reasons why on a grand scale, we are so depressed. And, and so we're, you know, we're seeking that the, the, the nourishment that comes from mystical thinking that comes from poetic awareness. And um, I don't think like, you know, science can explain it all away you know, but it takes away the soul, you know, it like really does dry out like our experience of the life. And I think that, um, I'm interested in, in healing that, that wound, that like religious spiritual wound that we've, that's, you know, created this sort of like religious following of, or I should say this religious attachment to science, scientism, you know, and I think that I think we're all sort of um suffering from that and if those two can come together and that wound can be healed i think i think that's that's something that i really would like to be a part of also you know on on the same topic i think that we could never have arrived at this moment in time or in history without having experienced you know the effects of science the effects of treating you know humans like machines and losing, you know, the connection with mother nature, you know, and ultimately I feel like that is the lesson that we're receiving right now. You know, yeah. it's, it's being applied across generations, you know, but look at the outcome, you know, I, I come from, you know, a lineage of, of people who raise cattle, people who worked in the oil industry, you know, um, farmers, things of that nature, you know, so it, it's not commonplace to, to have, you know, this engagement where you're, you're looking at nature other than, um, you know, something that, that you can, 
you know, grow from economically, you know, like a, like right. the cattle industry is not a compassionate one, you know, neither is, neither is the farming industry, you know, and we're starting to see, you know, that turnaround now, which is, which is beautiful. But um, I think it's a hard lesson to teach if we had not had that historical exposure to what happens if you don't take it. Very exactly. Good. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So, I do think that's why entheogens are coming at the time that they're coming, you know, and, and why they're so profound. Cause we're like, we're so disconnected that like when these medicines, these teachers like come in, when we come in contact with this experience, we're like, Holy shit, this is like, this is it. This is what I've been, I've been missing, you know? Right. Exactly. Yep. It is, uh, it's nature's answer to the problem ultimately. Right. And, and right. we are custodians of earth. So it, this is its way to relay the message in a way that's, that's expedited and, and hopefully saves us all, you know, yeah. that's at least how, how I feel. Um, we have a traditional question we ask all of our guests here on the channel, and it is how have entheogens influenced your spirituality personally? Mm. Oh man, that's a deep one. I mean, I could talk about it for hours. I would say, <laughs> I would say my spirituality before entheogens was very intellectual, um, was very based in like, I was, I had spent some time in India, was deeply invested in meditation and learning the, studying the Vedas and the, it was very rajas. It was very, very in my mind, like trying to understand it, you know, intellectually. And, um, and entheogens burst open my heart in a way that made it all feeling, all embodied, all, all more of an intuitive, less rational, you know, like sort of like the dance of the rational and the irrational and the space in between that and the, you know, all of my sense perceptions being involved, not just my intellect. So I'd say entheogens really have just like, yeah, made the heart, the fundamental teacher for me, you know, and, and the intellect is more of like a fun kind of like, you know, like game to play, you know, but like, ultimately it is, it is the heart that is at the center of all teaching for me, where before I didn't even know it was missing, you know, I was so, so in the intellect. So yeah, the entheogens, it kind of, kind of saved my soul in that way. Beautiful. Beautifully put. Well, Otto, thank you so much. I appreciate your shares this, this evening, the transparency, the wisdom, you know, giving us a window into your experience, you know, as, as a facilitator, as an integration coach, as a, as a spiritual embodiment of, of the practice, you know, so I really appreciate you. Um, you're, you know, a, a true friend and uh, I'll say it again, a confidant that, you know, we've leaned on each other a lot for different reasons. So it's just a blessing to have, um, you know, an excuse to share time with you, <laughs> you know, mm -hmm. you're on this platform. Um, but for anyone who, who is just getting to know you, who's, who's interested in getting to know more about you, um, what's a good way um, or the best ways to, uh, to keep connected with you and, and to reach out with any questions? So I have a website, um, soulandpsyche.org. Um, you can book, I have some uh, free 20 minute discovery call for anyone who's interested in 
deepening their work with integration or are interested in anything that I offer as far as services. I also have a blog. I, you know, write often about a lot of the things that we've talked about today and also Facebook, you know, social media is a great way to stay in contact. I'll be coming out with a lot more content in a bit. So yeah, just, I would say the website is a great, it's a great place to start. And then all my links will be on there and yeah, dude, I really appreciate you having me on here. This has been a great excuse to kind of have some spiritual banter between you and I and uh, have missed our conversations. It's been a while and um, love what you're doing. I loved the conversation and it's been an honor to share the space with you. Yeah, thank you so much. And and hopefully we can continue the conversation in a, in a later episode. It seems cut short, you know, but uh, yeah. we're trying to to keep the content digestible, <laughs> you know, so so that our, we right. don't have a six hour long conversation like we probably should have yeah. to, to catch up yeah. at this moment. But but just a true blessing. And and thank you very much for your time. And, and we look forward to having you again. Thanks, man. Yeah, thank you. If you're interested in joining us, have topics you'd like us to cover or hosts you'd like us to feature, please let us know by leaving a voice message or contacting us via social media or email. We look forward to growing and sharing with you and in the spirit of Source, offer you love and light. Together we are the medicine, in love we are the cure.